0: Saturday morning means just one thing here on the SCORE 1260, and it's time for Fizz Radio. J.D. Rachi, Thomas Schultz with you this week. Got you up until the 10 o'clock hour. A lot to get to in this program today, we're talking a little bit of Syracuse basketball, looking ahead to the matchup with Miami later today, as well as some Syracuse football gearing up for spring practice. But Thomas, first thing we want to talk about: big win against Boston College, a blowout win on the road. Really, just a dominant through and through performance from this SU basketball team.
1: Yeah, Syracuse desperately needed this win, and its big two really stepped up. It was Elijah Hughes and Buddy Bo- Buddy Boeheim, excuse me, leading the way, combining for 49 points. Great performances, even when Joe Girard really struggled, the other two really, really stepped up in this one.
0: And this felt like a game where going up against a lesser opponent on the road, season, I don't want to call the season a wash at this point. It's not necessarily a wash, but you're pretty much NIT bound at this point. Uh, I don't really think there's a great way to get into the NCAA tournament without winning the ACC tournament. We'll also get to both of those possibilities. The NIT coming up a little bit later in the show but they showed some resilience they showed some fight in this game uh you know it, it wasn't perfect they won by a pretty wide margin 84-71 honestly it wasn't even that close uh BC kind of got hot down the stretch but like you said buddy Bayheim elijah Hughes, lighting it up eli looked like uh you know ACC player of the year candidate uh looked like you know a guy that could be a, a draft pick uh come april or come june i should say should uh you know he's a guy that could make an impact at the next level and one way or another, and then you also spread out some of the bench minutes as well. Bryson Goodine, Howard Washington, both playing double-digit minutes 17 for Quincy. Also saw, saw Jesse Edwards get in there at the end. Uh, you know, not, not the most complete performance, but because you're going up against a BC team that was at without three of its top five scorers, you won pretty easily, and those are kind of those momentum-building wins that you need to – have going into the NCAA, or the, excuse me, the ACC tournament to hopefully build and maybe make a wild run that gets you to the NCAA tournament. You can't lose this game, and then things go haywire, and then the season's really over.
1: No, you can't, and I, I really do like how Jim Bayheim used this opportunity to get guys like Bryson Goodine and Howard Washington into the game. They both had double-digit minutes. Joe Girard, like I mentioned earlier, did struggle, so the other two kind of stepped up, kind of played in place of Girard at some points, which was really nice to see and really I think has made more of a conscious effort to get those guys more involved as the season has progressed.
0: I, I like that, too. That's one of the things I did like is, is getting in some of those guys. But let's just talk about the guy who's been unbelievable the last three, four games. I mean, Barama Sadibe is killing the game right now. I mean, he has dominated the last few games. Had 17 and 15 against North Carolina last weekend. He comes just a point short, and this is crazy, a point short of having three consecutive double-doubles. Keep in mind, this is a guy that didn't look like he could play a lick of basketball at some points this season. I mean, that Clemson game, he was truly abysmal, but he has really turned it on. I've been really impressed with what he's done. He's kind of shown that he's going to be resilient. Uh, Nine points, 12 rebounds in this game. Uh, a block and two steals, six offensive boards, which I think is a really impressive number as well. And again, he was efficient. He doesn't need a bunch of shots to get his points up to get his however many points he's going to score. He goes four for six from the floor. But this is again similar to the team. This is a guy that could have laid down. He has gotten a. He's bared the brunt of a lot of criticism from Coach Beheim, from from everybody this season, the media, the fans. Everybody has gone in on Barama at one point or another. The fouls have been an issue. Doesn't seem like he he can go up defensively against some of the better bigs in the country. But he is showing that he is here to take a step and take some strides heading into his senior season and be a feature piece uh, of the offense and and you know the defense and everything next year when Elijah Hughes may not be there and they're going to need guys to step up. And Barama, I think, has kind of put his foot down and said I'm kind of sick and tired of getting beat around the bush all the time. Uh, I'm going to go out and play my best basketball toward the end of the year and he's certainly delivering.
1: Something has finally clicked for Barama Sidibe. Something I did not think I would be saying earlier this season. I think one of the most important stats in Bay's game against Boston College, 3 fouls. This is a guy who's been fouling out consistently throughout the season. The last 4 games that really hasn't been the case. I think he fouled out one of those matchups, but it was late in the game and I think the game was already kind of decided at that point. Well, that was
0: the game where he had one foul with like ten minutes left and then I think somehow it was fouled Georgia Tech, out. George yeah. Attack and he was just baffled. He was like, I don't know how I how I <laughs> how I fouled out. He literally did not know. Tim Leonard was covering that game. I remember he, he sent out uh you know, he sent out the video and he said, I don't I don't know how I fouled out, but he already had a good had, had a good game at that point. But to make your point a little bit further, this is the first time in over two months, or excuse me, over a month, I should say, that Barama Sidibe had three fouls or fewer. The last time was the home game against Boston College back on January 15th. This game was played on March 3rd.
1: It's absolutely incredible, and I guess that's kind of, to a degree, Sidibe really, really progressing and going up instead of going at an angle when he goes up for shot contest, And what's really also impressive with Sidibe is he's actually scoring now. This isn't a guy who's giving you maybe two, maybe three points a game. He's consistently at or near double digits. He had nine against Boston College. And something he's really gotten uh, much better at which I think we have overlooked is his foul shooting he only had one foul shot tonight he made it against UNC I'm pretty pretty sure he went seven of eight from the line this was the guy before that game he was shooting 46 percent from the charity stripe
0: think about the averages from the last few games and, and you tell me if this sounds anything like Barama Sidibe 13 points per in his last three games nine no over nine rebounds 37 total rebounds, so just about 12, a little bit over 12 rebounds per game. I mean, these numbers are unbelievable compared to what he had been doing at the beginning, at the middle, toward the tail end right before this stretch. He had been pretty pretty bad, to be completely honest with you. He was really bad against Louisville, did not have a good night in Kentucky. Frankly, wasn't even that good against Georgia Tech in the game right before this kind of mini hot streak has started for him. And just seeing him take that step, I think is such an important and promising thing because the question next year for much of this year, the question for next year was, well, Eli's gone and the center's position is staying the same. There's no grad transfer at the moment. There could be a grad transfer in the future, but there's nobody that can play the center spot. Who the heck's going to be the center next year because you're not going to have any success if you've got Barama Sidibe at the five. And I think he's kind of put his foot down and said, I'm, I'm going to be the five. I'm going to be the guy. I want to be the guy. I've got the skills, the tenacity, the grit necessary to be the guy, and he's doing it. And I was talking to him after the North Carolina game, and I said, what's been the difference? Like, It's like the flip of a switch. And he told me, you know, I was because he's been in so much foul trouble, like we've talked about, he was almost playing scared. He wasn't playing aggressive. And he just said, I just said to myself, I don't care if I foul out, and I'm just going to play aggressive on both ends. And apparently – that's working for him. I think he was probably just thinking things through a little bit too much, was up in his uh, you know, in his headspace up in the old noggin and really just was a little nervous when he got out on the floor. And now he's playing a bit more free and the numbers and the success rate for him is showing and, and is really, really impressive.
1: This is mentioned a lot more in football, but it seems like Barama Sidibe, without thinking and just playing, has become maybe the version that this staff thought he could be at one point in time. And I think JD, the main word that the key word that you said was unbelievable. It is truly unbelievable. Just like,
0: nobody saw this coming. The
1: switch of Barama Sidibe just in this season, and he's an absolutely vital player for next year's squad now, and this is a guy who we thought, oh, hopefully, maybe they'll get a grad transfer. Maybe Merrick Doljai will continue to improve and put on some weight. Now Barama Sidibe, I'm starting to think, has just locked down that center position for next season, and he's, he's just a absolutely vital. I think more so than almost anybody else on next season's roster because of the position he plays and how well he's been playing recently.
0: I will say it's only three games. So let's not get crazy ahead of ourselves. But this is certainly a promising figure to look at. Certainly, uh, you know, a promising stretch that maybe this is what he could be um, when everything comes together. And like I said, he was really impressive in that win over Boston College back on Tuesday. But let's jump ahead to today, matchup down in Miami against the Hurricanes. Not a great team, probably going to be, well, not, let's not say probably, could be without their best player, far and away their best player in their point guard, Chris Likes. He got beat up and uh, had to lead the game early against Virginia back on Wednesday. That was a 47-45 loss, a defensive showdown, slugfest kind of thing. Uh, that Miami had going, and this is a team that's been through a lot the last couple of years. They had the uh, FBI investigating them. There was no wrongdoing there, but they that has affected recruiting. They didn't sign a single recruit in their 2018 class. They've got a couple of freshmen this year that are impressive, so essentially there are no sophomores on this on this <laughs> Miami team, and, and it's kind of showing they're not having their best year. I think Jim Laranaga is a really, really good coach, uh, but 14 and 15 coming into today's game, and being down, Chris Likes, who has – I looked at the numbers earlier this week, and I was just kind of floating through all-time career leaders in certain categories and statistics and things like, things like that. And this is a, a bit of a more modern number, usage percentage, usage rate, basically how much a team relies on, on, on an individual score, an individual guy. And Chris Likes, since college basketball reference, started taking this stat, top 20 in the ACC – ever, as, as long as they've been taking the stat, which is at least a decade in usage rate. He is so important, and without
1: him, this Miami team is pretty bad. Chris Likes is one of my favorite guys in the ACC. This is a guy who, if you don't know who he is, he's Miami's point guard. He's averaging a tick over 15 points a game, shoots 37% from three, but he's five foot seven, and he just gives Syracuse problems and the rest of the ACC problems. Every time he steps on the floor, he's just so shifty, so elusive, Finds a way to maneuver around the around the bucket and get his shot up, and now, of course he's really good from three as well. Not having him in today's game is a absolutely massive blow for really just a not very good Miami basketball team.
0: And it's not guaranteed that he's not going to play, but certainly you know bleeding profusely from the nose and from the face area uh, a few signs. nights ago is not a great sign. But it's possible he plays. A couple of other guys to watch out for in this game. For Miami, Cameron McGusty is a redshirt junior, a transfer from Oklahoma. He's probably their second-best player. He's been pretty consistent throughout the year. Sam Wardenburg is a good three-point shooter, and then DJ Vasiljevic, uh is one of the best, if not the best, shooters in the ACC, right up there with Buddy Beheim, kind of the one-two punch in terms of elite-level three-point shooters uh, in the ACC. And he's he's gunning for top 20 in the ACC. He can move into a tie for 20th all-time in ACC history in three-point uh field goal makes today with just one make and he also can tie uh tie for third in Miami history with one field goal make. He's not coming off a great game. He only had 6 points um against Virginia, but certainly Miami has a couple of guys that can be threats, but then it's kind of the injuries that have really hampered them this season. Uh you know, they're still trying to rebuild their roster. Last year when Syracuse played them in the dome and won, They had seven scholarship players that were eligible and healthy to play. That number's a bit better this year. It's eight or nine at this (laughs) point. That's still pretty bad. Like, Syracuse doesn't play a lot of guys, but they've got scholarship players that they could play. And Miami has just been banged up and has been through so much. That program... It's trying to get back up. Remember, they, they were really good uh, a few seasons ago, more than a few seasons ago at this point, five or six years ago, when they had Shane Larkin and Kenny Kaji and were a top three seed in the NCAA tournament, and Jim Larenago was ACC coach of the year. But it feels like it's been a fall from grace pretty quickly for the Hurricanes.
1: This is a big, big matchup for Syracuse against a team that's on a three-game losing streak after winning against Virginia Tech in triple overtime four games ago. This is just an opportunity for Syracuse to continue to gain some momentum, some very much needed momentum, heading into the ACC tournament when if they ever have a shot this season, they have to do, have to, have to, have to to at least make the finals of the ACC tournament, if not better. Miami's some start of a jumping off ground along with the Boston College win. Syracuse absolutely needs to take advantage today. We'll see
0: what Syracuse has in store later today. 4 o'clock tip down in Coral Gables. We'll have coverage for you on Twitter at Orange Fizz. And, Thomas, you mentioned the ACC tournament, the implications going into that tournament next week in Greensboro. Let's talk about that on the other side of the break. We'll also look into the NIT We'll talk a little NCAA tournament. I'm not so confident as maybe some others here are at Orange Fizz that there is even a chance at Syracuse making the NCAA tournament. Well, we'll talk the postseason coming up on the other side. It's Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. All right, folks, it's March. That means we got to talk some uh, postseason basketball here on Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. J.D. Rocci, Thomas Schultz here with you. Uh, one regular season game coming up later today for Syracuse down in Miami against the Hurricanes, 4 p.m. start down at the Watts Coast Center. You can follow – us on Twitter at Orange Fizz for updates throughout that one. But the next big test coming up and kind of where this season is going to go, either miraculous NCAA tournament berth or right to the NIT is the ACC tournament coming up uh, next week in Greensboro, North Carolina. Syracuse has officially secured a first-round bye, so they won't have to play in that first batch of games on Tuesday. Their first game will come on Wednesday. Now it's just a matter of where they're going to play, when they're going to play, and who they're going to play, and they control their destiny at this point. A win today against Miami, and they're the five seed, that is certainly the most advantageous position to be in in comparison to, you know, they could drop all the way down to the eight.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a reason this game is so important, even though maybe their NCAA tournament hopes are shot unless they really go on a run in the ACC tournament, but you got to win today. That's the most important thing you have to secure that 5 spot because if you do that there's really four teams that are at the top echelon of the ACC this year. That's Louisville, that's Florida State, that's Virginia now after a slow start and of course the Duke Blue Devils, Syracuse securing that 5 spot, avoiding those four teams for as long as possible absolutely imperative.
0: Thank you Florida State. Thank you for Lou or for beating Notre Dame on the road in South Bend on Wednesday. That gave Syracuse the upper hand over the Irish because now if Syracuse wins, they've got the five seed because they'll have out of the four teams that are tied for the five seed right now, uh, they will have the best conference record. Uh, they'll be uh, one or two games over 500 at that point. One game over 500? No, two games over 500. I can do math. They'll be 11 and nine in conference if they can beat Miami today. Uh, Clemson also lost. Shout out Virginia Tech. That was huge for Syracuse as well uh, because Clemson if they had been tied in terms of conference record. Clemson, of course, has the tiebreaker over Syracuse because of that loss for the Orange down in Death Valley at Little John uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago. But this is advantageous not only because of the matchup, but also because of the sleep schedule for Syracuse. Because if you're the 5 seed, your game will be played at 2 o'clock on Wednesday. If you're the 6 seed, game, your game will be played at or if you're the sixth seed, your game would be played at 9 o'clock on Wednesday. That's a massive difference. That's either 2 p.m. is a pretty normal game time, or, hey, let's hurry up and wait all the way until 9 o'clock and still have a less favorable matchup as well.
1: Yeah, 9 o'clock, and then if you win that, you go on and have to play a quick turnaround Playing at 2 p.m., you get more of a rest, you get more of a break, and look, at this time, every single team left in the tournament, whether that's ACC, whether that's NIT, whether it's March Madness, it's a quick turnaround, so it's really just resting up your guys as much as possible and hitting the deck again for another game and keep going, so Syracuse, if you can lock down that 2 p.m. slot, really, really important to just really continue on this hopeful SU run that they're going to try to go on.
0: So, obviously, playing that later game is definitely more favorable. I personally, I just, a 9 o'clock game sounds horrendous in any way, shape, or form. Staying up for it and and all that kind of stuff. Much rather we play that earlier game on Wednesday. The only problem with being the 5 seed, it creates a potentially unfavorable matchup for Syracuse in that first round, which is technically the second round, but the first game SU would play they would play the winner of the 12-13 game. Remember, Georgia Tech has taken themselves out of postseason considerations. There are only 14 teams, so things are a little bit different. The 7 and the 10 are already going to be matched up. There's The 10 seed doesn't have to play. There's a whole thing. There's basically taking away a whole game on that first day. But Syracuse, if they're the 5 seed, which if they win today, they will be the 5 seed. Again, there are a lot of things going on. These are all subject to change, but right now, Syracuse would play the winner of Miami and North Carolina. And we know Miami, favorable matchup. UNC, not a favorable matchup. So if you get UNC in that second round, that's not great. But still, I think you take your chances.
1: I think another thing to remember is if Syracuse does play Miami, that's for Syracuse at least back-to-back games against the same opponent. I know you'd still rather take that than UNC who clobbered Syracuse in the Dome, but it's never great to play the same team so closely together because they kind of know what's coming at them. They know what to expect. Jim Laranega may have his Hurricanes alter their games based on the results on Saturday or maybe if all things go badly for Syracuse. Keep them the exact same. But, J.D., I want to run down the four teams that Syracuse could play. Pittsburgh, they're done with games. They don't have anybody else until the ACC tournament. UNC plays Duke, so they're probably going to lose, except they gave them a really good game. Probably should have won that game. Yeah, they, they should have won that. They were ahead, I think, by 10 or more, and then Duke took them to overtime, eventually won. Miami, of course, SU. And then Wake Forest will play NC State, another team that should beat um, the Demon Deacons. So the, all of those teams, at least hypothetically, expectedly, are supposed to lose. Supposed
0: to lose, but, I mean, there are so many things that can happen in the ACC, so many possibilities for Syracuse, and everything will be sorted out by the end of the day today. The other problem with being the five seed is that it creates an unfavorable next-round matchup as well because Virginia beat Duke last weekend. All of a sudden, these top three teams, the d a teams in the ACC, Duke, Louisville, Florida State. They're not going to be your top three seeds as it currently sits. Virginia is going to slide ahead of Duke because of matching conference records and having the tiebreaker over the Blue Devils. So if things stay the same and everything shakes out the way it's that's sitting right now, you've got Duke in the second round. You got blasted by them at the Dome as well. Vernon Carey is an issue. Maybe the 5 seed isn't that good. Maybe you want the 6 seed, but then you
1: got the 9 o'clock game. I don't know how to feel about it. Well, the thing is, I think Duke might be the team Syracuse least wants to face out of the ACC. You beat Virginia. You almost beat Florida State, and if Buddy Bayheim hadn't put up a donut, you probably beat him. Louisville crushed Syracuse, but looking at Louisville, they've been so hit or miss this season. Even though they've been strong, they, started, they got in a slump recently. Jordan Norris had his own problems, especially with head coach Chris Mack. There's just so many complexities, JD, and so much left undecided heading into today's games. I just, I don't know what to think. I, I think Duke's the worst matchup for Syracuse, but what do we know at this point?
0: Let's say this thing stays the way it is. There's no more movement and everybody goes chalk. So that means every, the higher seed wins in every game. So that means that if you're Syracuse, you're going to get your first game as the five seed 2 p.m. on Wednesday against Miami. We'll say Syracuse wins that game because they're the higher seed. And let's say all the higher seeds win except Syracuse continues to win. So then you've got a matchup in the quarterfinals on Thursday at 2.30. That game will be against the four seed, which right now is Duke. Let's say Syracuse wins that game. Then they play the one seed, which right now is Louisville or Florida State. Florida State has the tiebreaker over Louisville because they beat them twice, and they have matching conference records right now. So you'd play Florida State in the semifinals, and then that would mean that you would play the two-seed, which is likely going to be Louisville in the final. So there is a chance that Syracuse, as it currently sits, if they win the ACC tournament, they will beat all three of the best teams in the ACC because they will have A quarterfinal matchup with Duke, a semifinal matchup with Florida State, and a championship-round matchup against Louisville. If everything goes the right way, and it's March, it's crazy, it's madness for a reason. There's no guarantee it goes that way. That's the only way I see Syracuse getting into the NCAA tournament. I don't think that'll happen. So let's talk about the NIT and kind of where things are going to shake out. Syracuse is probably there are eight seeds in each pod. So 32 total teams in the NIT. Syracuse is right on that 4-5 line. And honestly, because the Dome can't host, they're probably just going to get bumped down to that 5 because it doesn't really change much between the 4 and the 5 because Syracuse can't host. Uh, so they're probably going to be a 5 seed would be my guess. That's where they're projected by most quote-unquote NIT bracketologists right now. But it creates a, a couple of interesting possible matchups Um, In the first round, a really good Tennessee team from a year ago that loses Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield. Could see them down in Knoxville. That would be a fun game. Possible to see Memphis as they kind of continue to trend toward the NIT. They were a dark horse national championship pick before the season because of James Wiseman and Precious Achua uh, and Lester Quinones. There are some interesting matchups you could see in the NIT, and as much as I'm sure Syracuse fans do not want to see the NIT, and that feels like the end of the world,
1: you can play a fun game or two. Well, I think so. And the thing is, I mean, March Madness is so weak this year. I'm not I'm not going to make an argument that the NIT is ever better than what March Madness. I think the thing is there's a lot of really interesting teams in the NIT. I think It can Memphis, produce some fun games. I don't yeah. think it
0: does anything for
1: you, no. but it could be some fun games. I mean, it's extra basketball at the end of the day. And when you get to play teams that you never get to play, like Memphis, like Tennessee— like Minnesota. These are still good basketball teams. These are teams kind of in the same boat as Syracuse where, yeah, maybe they're not good enough to make March Madness, but you know what? They're still fun. They're still good. It's still going to be an interesting game, and hey, maybe we can see some things about next season. I mean, I remember Marek Dolajai in his freshman campaign. He had a monstrous game against Michigan State, and after that, it was kind of a sign of things to come with him that he's kind of turned a, tor- turned a corner, excuse me, maybe... We see some of that with another guy this coming
0: March. Basically what we're saying, don't give up on the team. This is still interesting either way. Could see a couple of fun matchups. Right now, the only bracketology that we can find on the NIT has Syracuse playing Tennessee in the first round down in Knoxville. That'll be a fun game. Rick Barnes, a fun coach uh, at Tennessee. Tennessee, of course, is thomas's uh childhood school the school he grew up rooting for so he'll have a bit of a uh, conflict of interest coming up if that ends up being the first round matchup in the nit but a lot to look forward to for syracuse basketball regular season finale today acc tournament next week and then likely the nit in the week after we'll kind of see where this team goes and we'll follow them wherever they go and wherever they end up and you can always keep it locked here at Orange Fizz on Twitter for updates for the team, for the football team, for everybody. And speaking of the football team, spring practice is actually just around the corner coming up on Monday. Thomas and I on the other side of the break, we're going to kind of take a look at some of the questions we want answered out of Syracuse football in spring practice. That's coming up on Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. March certainly known to be basketball season. March Madness, NCAA Tournament, NIT if you're Syracuse and all that kind of stuff. But it's also at least a little bit of football season. Spring practice getting ready to go for Syracuse as they open it up tomorrow, Sunday, March 8th. Exciting to see the Orange back on the field, of course. A disappointing 5-7 and seven season last year uh, in the fourth year of the Dino Babers era. But there's some intrigue at the very least going into this season.
1: I think... There's a couple of position groups that I'm very interested in seeing. I want to see how the wide receivers, with Taj Harris kind of the leader there, replace Tristan Jackson's experience. I want to see the defensive line, really what they do, replacing Alton Robinson, replacing Kendall Coleman. Who are the new edge rushers this season? Is it Jonathan Kingsley? Who else steps up? What happens there? There's just a lot of different components, a lot of different position groups on this team where, Yeah, maybe you can call them question marks, but there's also a lot of opportunity available for next season. The big piece
0: I'm interested in with the wide receivers, I think Taj Harris is going to be the number one option. I don't really envision that being a question mark um, in terms of who the number one option is, but who's going to be the Taj Harris for Taj Harris? Taj has been kind of that number two option uh, the last couple of years behind Jamal Custis and then behind Tristan this last year. Nikeem Johnson was non-existent I mean non-existent last year is he going to be existent this year is he going to be able to be that number two option because you look at the 10 win season a few years ago and that was Nikeem Johnson was that perfect third wide receiver gave you a couple of catches probably 50 plus yards a game and and then this year I mean nothing can he be a reliable second option I think is my biggest question mark with the wide receivers
1: I think Nikeem Johnson could fulfill that Sean Riley role, but the thing was, Sean Riley really did not have a big role this uh, past season. That's where... It was Christian Nike- or bust for Syracuse, right. essentially. Nikeem Johnson needs to be that slot guy, that shifty playmaker that can just get open in the middle of the field, because that's what, when Syracuse has success, of course you they always have that big target on the outside. That's been Tristan Jackson. That's Jamal Custis. The list goes on. But when you had a guy like Sean Riley or Nikeem Johnson a couple of years ago be that guy that kept defenses honest in the middle of the field, that's when Syracuse was at their best. And another position group that could really fulfill that role is kind of the tight ends. What do what the guys like Luke Benson do? I mean, that's an area where Syracuse really showed a lot of improvement last season. Where do they go from here? And then finally, a third point I want to make is there's a wide receiver, JD, who was a I think their top signee a couple years ago. He was top two at least, Ed Hendricks. We really haven't heard a whole lot about him since he signed. Yeah,
0: he hurt. He hurt himself freshman year. He was out all of this year as well. So he's going to be a redshirt sophomore uh, coming into this season. He was in that same class as Taj Harrison. Was supposed to be uh, kind of that top-flight guy that was going to replace Amba Etitao and and Steve Ishmael, and Jamal Custis and kind of be in that same vein of that number 1 lanky, speedy, outside threat, down-the-field verticality kind of guy. And we just haven't seen anything because he has been so banged up and so hurt. And I think, you know, coming off the injuries that he's had to come off of, he's had some knee issues, some leg issues, those are not easy injuries to work yourself back from by any stretch of the imagination. So if he can be even somewhat productive, that's huge. I'm also really interested in what we're going to see out of Courtney Jackson. He played a couple of games this year for Syracuse but was on in under that redshirt requirement, didn't play those four games. So he is an option. Javante Williams is a true freshman um, out of Belle Glade, Florida that I'm really excited about as well. He's probably the, one of the better top uh, pass catchers um, in this class. And then I also think you look at guy, a guy in Kevin Mittal, who played his high school football up in Canada? He got added to the roster like right before the season. Honestly, it might have been after that first game against Liberty last year. I'm not. I'm a little bit fuzzy on the timeline, but it was at the very like right before August or right before September, um, toward the end of August, where he got added onto the roster, and he was a guy that put up just absolutely silly numbers up in in high school in Canada. And I'm not saying that the competition level is the same as it would have been if he had played uh, some of his years down in the States, but he's certainly a guy to look at and say, all right, you put up big numbers, what do you got? And I remember I wrote the article when he made his commitment and kind of decided he was going to come to Syracuse to pursue uh, his college career. And I remember somebody commented like, This is a really underrated guy, like guy that's gonna be a diamond in the rough type, like USC Alabama type prospect. And I was like,
1: let's pump the brakes. Pump the brakes a little bit.
0: Like it's possible, but if he's got that kind of talent level, I'm excited to see what he's got as well. I think there are pieces there. It's just everybody's kinda got a little bit of a, a question mark above their head.
1: And I think another thing that'll be really interesting to watch and we'll see a little bit in the spring is how are these new coaches? with the team, what are the changes, the implementations that are being made, specifically on the defensive side of the ball with kind of a different scheme being run, I think the offense might be pretty similar. 3-3-5, three, three, baby. Yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting. I'm very excited to see how Syracuse's defense really performs this spring and, of course, next season, and what what do they do different? What what, what guys do they really emphasize? You've got some absolute ball hawks back there, of course, with Andre Cisco being the main guy. There's a lot of guys specifically in the secondary for Syracuse that they can really, really take advantage of this coming season. I
0: think the other position to look at defensively is the linebacker spot because, again, for the second straight year, you're replacing two linebackers. This year they're going to be going with three linebackers and getting away from that nickel scheme that had them. With two, really, it was mostly three. And Mikel Jones was kind of that third guy. But you are losing your top two backers in Andrew Armstrong and Lakeem Williams. Lakeem was a revelation at times this season, much like Ryan Guthrie was two years ago. But now you've got to kind of reset again. And luckily for Syracuse, that 2019 class, which is going into their sophomore season, was linebacker heavy with Lee Koba um, and the aforementioned Mikkel Jones. But those are guys you've got to look for. They're, They're going to have to be thrust. Mikkel Jones is going to be the number one linebacker on the roster next year. He's going to be the number one linebacker as a sophomore, and Lee Koba, I guess, will be the number two. But those are guys going to have to learn on the fly very quickly, learn a new scheme, and you're going to have to throw in another linebacker because you're playing that three-three-five defense of Tony White.
1: I think the linebacker position, there's a lot of question marks there, but those are two guys who are supremely talented, guys that we were very, very excited about once they signed with Syracuse. They've got all the physical intangibles that you're looking for out of your linebackers. Mikell Jones and Lee Koba are. I mean, they they can be absolute playmakers this coming season. And I think Syracuse has shown this ability to bring in a new linebacker, linebacking core every single year, at least for the past couple of seasons, and be, be a strong suit. This question mark that seems like the past couple of years has been um, something that's a weakness early in the year becomes a strong suit by the end of it. Now those guys were seniors the last couple of seasons. It'll be you know, rising uh, sophomores, so it'll be very interesting to see what they do and how well they do because I think they have the intangibles and the physical traits that maybe some of these guys in the past didn't necessarily have.
0: I think we agree on kind of the three big questions, maybe even four. We'll throw in the offensive line because, I mean, that was just a, a disaster last year. And you're bringing back most of the offensive line. Um, from last year, this year. So I guess that's a question of can they make a step because they were abysmal a year ago. But the other three questions I think that we both agree on, number one, how do you fill up Tristan Jackson's stats? How do you get those numbers back? Is it Taj Harris? And if it is, who are his supporting cast behind him? Linebackers, how do you replace your two top linebackers from a year ago Two of your top three or four tacklers as well? And then the coaching staff, how do Sterling Gilbert and Tony White kind of fit into this into the Syracuse football program, the Syracuse football Ohana, and what's that transition like for all the guys? It'll be interesting to watch. We'll have some. Spring practice coverage coming up for you on the site, orangefizz.net. You can also follow us, again, on Twitter at orangefizz for updates throughout spring football. We're going to take one last quick break here on Orange Fizz. When we come back, it's time for Fizz feedback. You'll have your voices heard. We'll talk a little Syracuse football. We'll talk a little Syracuse basketball. And we'll see what's going on with the rest of Fizz Nation. That's coming up. It's Fizz Radio on the score, 1260. Wrapping it up here on Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. It's time for everybody's favorite segment. It's time for Fizz Feedback. J.B. Ranchi and Thomas Schultz about to have your voices heard here on the Score 1260. Fizz Nation, we appreciate you so much. We appreciate all your support all year long, and that's why we've got a couple of really interesting Fizz Feedbacks today, Thomas.
1: The first one is which of these potential NIT opponents would you most want to see? Georgetown, Tennessee, Minnesota, Memphis, uh, Georgetown obviously winning 75% of our voters. Pick Georgetown. I'm honestly kind of surprised it wasn't more. Tennessee for me, of course. JD mentioned earlier that was my fandom growing up. Part of me wants to see him, but a bigger part of me really does not want to see them, so I don't have to deal with that stuff. Don't split. have to pick. I think Georgetown would be really... I mean, at any time, even if it's the NIT, when those two teams line up, it gets nasty and it's a lot of fun.
0: And some people questioned if Georgetown was going to get in. They're 15 and 15 this year, right at that 500 mark, but they're playing in a really good Big East conference. Um, and they were on the bubble of the NCAA tournament a couple of weeks ago until they've kind of imploded down the stretch. Um, and they've lost at least five in a row at this point. But it's not out of the realm of possibility that they get into the NIT. You have to have a winning record. That's it, or you have to be at least 500 to get into the NIT. So they probably have to win. You know, a couple of games here to make themselves get in, Uh, but if they do get in, it's a possibility they're going to be right around that four or five seed as well with Syracuse. So it's it's possible. I I think Georgetown would be fun. I really think anything out of the ACC or out of the you know uh, the Upstate New York area would be fun because those are the teams you see. On a yearly basis, and that's kind of the beauty of the NCAA tournament and the NIT, is you get to see some different teams, some different coaches, some different programs.
1: Yeah, I think that the NIT—we've mentioned it earlier—always a lot of fun. Now we had one commenter, Zach, who said Georgetown, but I still think they find a way to sneak into the NCAA tournament, and who knows what happens then, Zach. I disagree, Zach. I disagree, break, Zach. <laughs> I, disagree Zach. It you. It, I We just don't think it's going to happen here on Fizz Radio. Moving on to number two: Which position group do you want answers from in spring practice? Wide receivers, linebackers, offensive line, defensive line, 60% say offensive line. Don't blame them. I kind of have to disagree here. I think the offensive line obviously was the worst unit by a wide margin last season. What's interesting is when Matthew Bergeron, the right tackle, freshman right tackle, came into the starting lineup, things started to change. Now, of course, he's just one-fifth of the offensive line, but they played a lot better. I'm very, very interested to see what the linebackers can do and how— well they can perform.
0: Let's put it this way. You bring back Carlos Veterello. You bring back Aaron Service. You bring back Matthew Bergeron. So that's your center and your two tackles. Any combination. I think after the success in the late season, I think Veterello is going to be your center. And then Service and uh, Bergeron Bergeron will play on the outsides. The next question is your guards. You're also going to have the Florida transfer, Chris Blake, we'll see if he's going to be eligible or not. That's not 100% sure because he is a transfer. But there are pieces that you can mix and match here and there. Patrick Davis is going to be there. He'll he'll be a senior. There are all poss- kinds of possibilities. I agree. I'm going to say wide receivers. I'm really
1: interested in just because Tristan was such a big part of the offense last year. Fizz feedback number three, which of the four seeds do you least want to see in the first round of the ACC tournament? Those four seeds are Duke, Louisville, Florida State, Virginia, and 51% say Louisville. And after really? That, after that clobbering, J.D.? I, I don't blame I, them, but I disagree.
0: Wh- who, Duke? Duke. I don't want to see Vernon Carey if I'm Syracuse. I mean, that guy's a monster. He played like 25 minutes and still put up, what, like 26 and 17? Yeah, he's crazy. Like, he's just so good. He's so efficient. He's an animal. I mean, if you want Barama Sidibe to continue playing well, you don't want him going up against a guy like a Vernon Carey. Uh, I want to avoid Duke at all costs if I'm Syracuse. Louisville, I guess, but i not Duke. Not Duke.
1: I I don't love Louisville as a team, but they clobbered Syracuse, and they've got so much experience, which you can't say year in and year out about other teams like Duke, even though Duke has more experience than they have had in the past. Trey Jones is also a beast at point
0: guard. Really good player.
1: Syracuse just has no answer for Trey Jones or for Vernon Carey, for that matter. Moving on to our last Fizz feedback. This one's the tightest one, JD. Who's the most improved player for Syracuse basketball throughout the season? The options: Barama Sidibe. Buddy Boeheim, Quincy Garrier, and Merrick Dolajai. We actually have a tie at the top. Buddy Boeheim finishes third, 0.8% behind Barama Sidibe and Quincy Garrier. I got to go Barama Sidibe. I know it's late. It's just been the last four games, but he's really, really stepped up, which I am very optimistic about next season for him
0: yeah i like what barama's done obviously i think he's done a great job i'm gonna go buddy nobody saw him being a top 10 scorer in the acc all right that'll do it for us here on phase radio Big game later today as syracuse tries to lock up the five seed in the acc tournament taking on miami down in coral gables we've got coverage for you starting at four o'clock for thomas schultz i'm jd rachi so long enjoy the game and we'll see you next week